y'all would please open up to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. <clears throat> you know, when I was a uh, child, I remember one time I, I had a doctor's appointment. I had some motor tics that I couldn't control. I would uh, just be sitting and just shake my head, and I had no control over it, so my parents were getting me uh, taking me to a neurologist to find out what was going on, and I remember I had to wake up really, really early. Looking back, it's probably about the time I wake up now, but for a seven-year-old, it was extremely early. I had to wake up at five in the morning, and so that day, my dad woke me up at five, and he and I went into the office, and they, the doctor said, just keep me up for a while and then take me into the appointment. So for a couple of hours, my dad was working on something. I, I had no clue at the time what it was. I was in the office playing Need for Speed. I was just doing racing video games. And I had all the maps memorized, so I would take all the shortcuts. My dad told me afterwards that he actually wrote an article while we were in there. And he used me as inspiration. And I thought, wow, that's, that's great. What was the inspiration? He said that he saw me taking shortcuts on the map, and so he wrote an article about how you can't take shortcuts in life. Not quite the inspiration I was hoping for. <laughs> you can't take shortcuts in life, but there are certain things where you can expedite a process. There are certain things you cannot get around. Maturity, you can't shortcut that. Growth, you can't shortcut that. But there are certain things where you can focus on to help grow you exponentially. Now, if you're looking for biblical understanding, if you're looking to understand the Bible more, there is a, a way to expedite that. There is a way to understand what's going on, and that is through the covenants that God made. You study the covenants that God made, you will understand the Bible better. The covenants are key to understanding what God is doing at any point in Scripture. Now, the covenant that we live under today as people who are living after the birth and death of Christ is the new covenant, the covenant founded on Christ's blood. But before that, God had several covenants all throughout biblical history. And so I wanted to take the weeks leading up to Christmas to look at the covenants of God. Why are they important? And why then is Jesus important? Why does this new covenant that we live under matter so much? And the first covenant that we see in the Bible is God's covenant with creation. The covenant that he made to Noah and his sons. And the beginning of this is Genesis 8.20. This is after the flood has occurred. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, 
and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast out of the earth, with you of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall, be there, shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I've set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over, over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for the covenant that you have made, that you will not destroy the earth in a flood again. Even though you have looked out at creation and seen that the, the thoughts of man are wicked, that you will hold your wrath. You will give us mercy and love. God, that you have placed us over every living thing, given us every living thing as food to eat, Father, we thank you. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your word has to say. We ask that you speak through this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that we need to figure out is what is a covenant? Is it just a promise? A business contract? Well, it's similar to those things but it's not quite. See, a promise, you break your promise, I can break my promise. A contract, you don't hold up your end of the deal, guess what, I don't have to hold up my end of the deal. A covenant, though, is a blood-bound contract. Typically, you will see a, an offering made with this. <clears throat> Here it says in verse 20, 
Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. It started with a sacrifice. You will see sacrifices with this. That is a sign that if I do not hold up my end of the bargain, my life is on the line. If I do not hold up my end of the covenant, I'm putting this on my life. In marriage, marriage is really the only thing we have nowadays that is a, a true covenant, and that is till death do us part. Not until the, the butterflies go away. Not until the, the little fuzzy feelings aren't there anymore. Till death do us part. A covenant is a lifelong, blood-bound contract. Now the first thing that we see about God here is that even in His anger, even in His anger, God is merciful. Verse 21, he says, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Humanity is fallen and wicked. We have all sinned. We have all been deserving of God's wrath. Here it says that our imagination from youth is wicked, yet God patient. God says, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. See, there is this, this teaching going around, this uh, thought that God in the Old Testament is all wrath, and then God in the New Testament is all love and mercy that's just not true. In the New Testament, there is wrath and justice and anger and mercy and love. And in the Old Testament, there is wrath and justice and anger and mercy and love and grace. Here we see that paired perfectly. God has just poured out his wrath on the earth through the flood, wiping the slate clean except for what was on the ark. We see God's wrath in that, God's wrath against the the wickedness of man, God's wrath against sin, God's wrath against destruction. Yet we also see here that God is relenting of that. God is merciful. He's showing mercy in this. I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, not because he deserves it. Clearly he says here that every thought of man's heart is evil from his youth, yet God has mercy. God acknowledges the wickedness, yet shows mercy. Justice and mercy go together very well. Justice and mercy, are they, they define God. His justice and his mercy, they're not in opposition to one another. They work perfectly in conjunction with one another. They work together. Next, we see how God cares for man. God's love for man. Chapter 9, verse 1, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, 
on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. God has great love for humanity. He has great love for man. He's placed man here to represent him. We are, the Bible calls the church, ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors for God, ambassadors of heaven. We're here to represent God. Here we see that even at the flood, God placed man over the earth. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. God has placed humanity, Noah and his sons, as rulers of the earth. Not just as beasts and animals. He has not given us the status of just a highly evolved ape. He has given us the status of rulers. God loves man. God loves humanity. In fact, it is His love that leads to justice. It is love that leads to justice. It's love that leads to wrath. Moving forward, He says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother I will require for the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. See, it is love that leads to anger. It is love that leads to wrath. If it is a just wrath, a righteous wrath, it is love that leads to that. God has great anger. God is wrathful, but it is not, it is not just undeserving. It is not just randomly spread out. It is because of the destruction of what he loves. Think of a man whose wife has been abused and beaten if that man is indifferent, if that man does not have an anger towards the people who have beaten his wife, does that man truly have love for his wife? I can't say that he does. If there is indifference in that, that does not show love. Love gets mad at injustice. If you love someone and something unjust has been done to them, it will anger you. If a child or if a father loves his child and the child is beaten, that father will have a righteous anger. In the same way, God loves man. He loves humanity. He has made man in his image. So then when there is a, a murder, when somebody curses the image of God, when somebody beats the image of God, God has a just Wrath against that. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Love and justice go hand in hand. Love and justice work together. If you love someone, you must seek what is right for them. If you love someone, you seek what is good for them. If you love someone, you seek what is just for them. You know, the Bible talks about pre-flood days, and it is a grim picture. 
It is a scary thing to look at. The Bible speaks of the, the sons of God, these fallen angels coming down to earth and having children with the women of the earth. Here it suggests that there is widespread murder. The fact that God, immediately following the flood, addresses murder and puts a, a bounty on the head of somebody who has committed murder suggests that there was rampant murder. Sexual perversion was, was the norm. Murder was the norm. Life was not taken seriously. Human life was not treated as God intended it to be before the flood. And what's really scary is what do we see today? Sexual perversion is touted around as, as virtue. It is seen to be virtuous to uh, not fit a biblical sexual ethic. And then on top of that, what happens if a young woman gets pregnant? Well, you can just go kill the baby. People today are even arguing for uh, what they call post-birth abortion. After a child has been born, killing the baby. We may not be to the point where uh, murder is just tolerated outright, but we're not far. Assisted suicide is legal in many places, and what that means is that if somebody is sick, just killing them. We are not far from the picture that we see here, the picture of, of life before the flood. It is a scary picture. But that is why we must not forget what God has promised. God promised here that He will never again flood the earth. God will be patient. The last time that God flooded the earth, destroyed everything, He offered an ark. It was a boat that eight men and women and a bunch of animals were on. But now, He has given us something better. Something better than a wooden ark. He has given us the cross. And we are not saved by entering into the ark. We are not saved by setting foot on a boat. We are saved by the blood of Christ. Not because we were the most righteous out of anyone living on earth, but because Jesus was righteous for us. Because He was good on our behalf. Because He paid the price that we can't pay. The price that we should have paid. He paid that for us. He went to death for us. Jesus lived a life that satisfied God's covenant with Noah. He did not take blood. He did not shed man's blood. He had dominion over every bird of the air every fish of the sea, every animal on the earth, He showed mercy in place of anger. He fulfilled God's covenant with Noah. And now we end on verses 7-17 through 17 where God shows that He will remember. He will always remember His covenant. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. 
Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast on the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. See, every time that it rains and you see a rainbow, that is a symbol that God will not forget His promise. That is a symbol that God will not flood the earth again. You know, the world loves to take uh, Christian symbols, biblical symbols, and turn it into its own thing. I've seen people with uh, tattoos of a six-pointed star, and I, I asked them, no, I didn't know you were, you were Jewish. And I'm not. It's, it's Satan's star. And I say, no, that's David's star. That's, that, that's a fairly well-known uh, religious symbol. And... My personal favorite, though, is the upside-down cross. I see people with upside-down crosses, and they you know, try to be hardcore and say, oh, yeah, Peter, Peter's cross. And they always say, no, it's a satanic cross. And I say, no, you're, you're very wrong about that. <laughs> see, Peter was put to death by crucifixion, and he said, I'm not even worthy of being killed in the same manner as Christ. And so to mock him, they crucified him upside-down. And it became the symbol of Christian humility, the upside-down cross, that I am unworthy even to be killed as Christ has been killed. That is not a satanic symbol. What ended up happening was, well, people started thinking, well, if we're making movies about demons, how can we, how can we show that? Well, they flip a cross upside-down, obviously. And it became this satanic symbol, but it is not. It is a great symbol of Christian humility. And now we see the rainbow being used as a flag of pride. Well, in fact, God showed what he has done to those acting in pride against God. God destroyed the earth because of man's sinfulness, his wickedness. It is not a symbol of pride. It is a symbol to, to call us to repentance, to remind us that God has been merciful not because we deserve it. God has stayed His anger not because we have been so good and earned it, but because He is merciful. Not because of anything that we have done, not because we have been just in this, not because we have earned His care, His love, only because of who He is. The rainbow ought to draw us to repentance to remind us that in spite of our sin, God loves us. That we are to fall to our knees 
ask God for forgiveness and ask God for wisdom. The rainbow is a reminder of the mercy of God that you and I live in daily. So friends, let us represent Christ well. Let us steward the earth well. Let us always seek justice and display mercy in our lives. And let us love one another. Let us not uh, grow to shed man's blood. Now the Bible says that if you even look at someone with hate in your heart, you've committed murder. Let us not get even to that point. Let us love people and love them well. And let us seek Christ in all that we do. Because again, years ago they had a, an ark. They had a boat. Today we have the cross. Let us bring all our cares, concerns, our sins. Let us bring everything to the cross. And let us pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your justice. God, even though the world says that it is harsh and cruel, we know that it is righteous. Lord, and that it comes from a place of love. I thank you that even in spite of our sinfulness, our wickedness, you still love your people that you still went to the cross to die for us. God, that you displayed mercy thousands of years ago to Noah and his family, and that you continue to display mercy today through Christ. Father, I pray that we would understand these as not just stories that people made up, but as true events. That when we see the, the rainbow, we remember that you are merciful you are loving, caring. Even though every imagination from youth is wicked and evil, that you are good, that you have sought our good, that you have fought for our good, we ask this in your name. Amen.